Section 73 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter 44. It was in the course of his final upward progress that Eugene came once more into contact with Kenyon C. Winfield, ex-state senator of New York, president of the Long Island Realty Company, land developer, real estate plunger, financier, artist, what not, a man very much of Eugene's own type and temperament, who at this time was doing rather remarkable things in a land speculative way. Winfield was tall and thin, black-haired, black-eyed, slightly, but not offensively, hook-nosed, dignified, gracious, intellectual, magnetic, optimistic. He was forty-eight years of age. Winfield was a very fair sample of your man of the world who has ideas, dreams, fancies, executive ability, a certain amount of reserve and judgment, sufficient to hold his own in this very complicated mortal struggle. He was not really a great man, but he was so near it that he gave the impression to many of being so. His deep sunken black eyes burned with a peculiar luster, one might almost have fancied a tint of red in them. His pale, slightly sunken face had some of the characteristics of your polished Mephisto, though not too many. He was not at all devilish-looking, in the true sense of the word, but keen, subtle, artistic. His method was to ingratiate himself with men who had money in order to get from them the vast sums which he found it necessary to borrow to carry out the schemes, or rather dreams, he was constantly generating. His fancies were always too big for his purse, but he had such lovely fancies that it was a joy to work with them and him. Primarily, Winfield was a real estate speculator. Secondarily, he was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions. His visions consisted of lovely country areas near some city stocked with charming country houses, cut up with well-paved, tree-shaded roads, provided with sewers, gas, electricity, suitable railway service, streetcars, and all the comforts of a well-organized living district, which should be at once retired, exclusive, pleasing, conservative, yet bound up tightly with the great metropolitan heart of New York, which he so greatly admired. Winfield had been born and raised in Brooklyn. He had been a politician, orator, insurance dealer, contractor, and so on. He had succeeded in organizing various suburban estates. Winfield, Sunnyside, Ruritania, the beaches. Little forty, fifty, one hundred and two hundred acre flats, which, with the help of OPM, as he always called other people's money, he had divided off into blocks laying out charmingly with trees and sometimes a strip of green grass running down the center, concrete sidewalks, a set of noble restrictions, and so forth. Anyone who ever came to look at a lot in one of Winfield's perfect suburbs always found the choicest piece of property in the center of this latest burst of improvement set aside for the magnificent house which Mr. Kenyon C. Winfield, the president of the company, was to build and live in. Needless to say, they were never built. 
He had been round the world and seen a great many things and places, but Winfield or Sunnyside or Ruitania or the beaches, so the lot buyers in these places were told, had been finally selected by him deliberately as the one spot in all the world in which he hoped to spend the remainder of his days. At the time Eugene met him, he was planning Minetta Water on the shores of Gravesend Bay, which was the most ambitious of all his projects so far. He was being followed financially by a certain number of Brooklyn politicians and financiers who had seen him succeed in small things, taking a profit of from three to four hundred percent out of ten, twenty, and thirty-acre flats. But for all his brilliance, it had been slow work. He was now worth between three and four hundred thousand dollars, and for the first time in his life was beginning to feel that freedom in financial matters which made him think that he could do almost anything. He had met all sorts of people, lawyers, bankers, doctors, merchants, the easy classes, as he called them, all with a little money to invest, and he had succeeded in luring hundreds of worthwhile people into his projects. His great dreams had never really been realized, however, for he saw visions of a great warehouse and shipping system to be established on Jamaica Bay, out of which he was to make millions, if it ever came to pass, and also a magnificent summer resort of some kind, somewhere, which was not yet clearly evolved in his mind. His ads were scattered freely through the newspapers. His signs, or rather the signs of his towns, scattered broadcast over Long Island. Eugene had met him first when he was working with Summerfield Company, but he met him this time quite anew at the home of the W. W. Wildebrand on the north shore of Long Island near Hempstead. He had gone down there one Saturday afternoon at the invitation of Miss Willebrand, whom he had met at another house party and with whom he had danced. She had been pleased with his gay, vivacious manner, and had asked him if he wouldn't come. Winfield was here as a guest with his automobile. "'Oh, yes,' said Winfield pleasantly. "'I recall you very well. You are now with the United Magazines Corporation, I understand. Someone was telling me. A most prosperous company, I believe. I know Mr. Colfax very well. I once spoke to Summerfield about you. A most astonishing fellow.' that tremendously able. You are doing that series of sugar plantation ads for them, or having them done. I think I copied the spirit of those things in advertising Ruritania, as you may have noticed. Well, you certainly have improved your condition since then. I once tried to tell Summerfield that he had an exceptional man in you, but he would have nothing of it. He's too much of an egoist. He doesn't know how to work with a man on equal terms. Eugene smiled at the thought of Summerfield. An able man, he said simply. He did a great deal for me. Winfield liked that. He thought Eugene would criticize him. He liked Eugene's genial manner and intelligent, expressive face. It occurred to him that when next he wanted to advertise one of his big development projects, he would go to Eugene, or the man who had done the Sugar Plantation series of pictures, and get him to give him the right idea for advertising. Affinity is such a peculiar thing. It draws people so easily apart from volition or consciousness. 
In a few moments, Eugene and Winfield, sitting side by side on the veranda, looking at the greenwood before them, the long stretch of open sound, dotted with white sails, and the dim, distant shore of Connecticut, were talking of real estate ventures in general, what land was worth, how speculations of this kind turned out as a rule. Winfield was anxious to take Eugene seriously, for he felt drawn to him, and Eugene studied Winfield's pale face, his thin, immaculate hands, his suit of soft gray cloth. He looked as able as his public reputation made him out to be. In fact, he looked better than anything he had ever done. Eugene had seen Ruritania and the beaches. They did not impress him vastly as territorial improvements, but they were pretty, nevertheless. For middle-class people, they were quite the thing, he thought. "'I should like to think it would be a pleasure to you to scheme out a new section,' he said to him once. "'The idea of a virgin piece of land to be converted into streets, houses, or a village appeals to me immensely.' The idea of laying it out and sketching houses to fit certain positions suits my temperament exactly. I wish sometimes I had been born an architect. It is pleasant, and if that were all, it would be ideal, returned Winfield. The thing is more a matter of financing than anything else. You have to raise money for land and improvements. If you make exceptional improvements, they are expensive. You really can't expect to get much, if any, of your money back until all your work is done. Then you have to wait. If you put up houses, you can't rent them. For the moment you rent them, you can't sell them as new. When you make your improvements, your taxes go up immediately. If you sell a piece of property to a man or woman who isn't exactly in accord with your scheme, he or she may put up a house which destroys the value of a whole neighborhood for you. You can't fix the details of a design in a contract too closely. You can only specify the minimum price the house is to cost, and the nature of the materials to be used. Some people's idea of beauty will vary vastly from others. Taste and sections may change. A whole city like New York may suddenly decide that it wants to build west when you are figuring on its building east. So, well, all these things have to be taken into consideration. That sounds logical enough, said Eugene, but wouldn't the right sort of a scheme just naturally draw to itself the right sort of people, if it were presented in the right way? Don't you fix the conditions by your own attitude? You do, you do, replied Winfield easily. If you give the matter sufficient care and attention, it can be done. The pity is, you could be too fine at times. I have seen attempts at perfection come to nothing. People with taste and tradition and money behind them are not moving into new additions and suburbs, as a rule. You are dealing with the new rich and financial beginners. Most people strain their resources to the breaking point to better their living conditions, and they don't always know. If they have the money, it doesn't always follow that they have the taste to grasp what you are striving for. And if they have the taste, they haven't the money. They would do better if they could, but they can't. A man in my position is like an artist and a teacher, and a father confessor and financier, and everything all rolled into one. When you start to be a real estate developer on a big scale, you must be these things. 
I have had some successes and some notable failures. Winfield is one of the worst. It's disgusting to me now. I've always wished I could lay out a seaside resort or a suburb, said Eugene dreamily. I've never been to but one or two of the resorts abroad, but it strikes me that none of the resorts here, certainly none near New York, are right. The opportunities are so wonderful. The things that have been done are horrible. There's no plan, no detail anywhere. My view's exactly, said Winfield. I've been thinking of it for years. Some such a place could be built. And I suppose if it were done right, it would be successful. It would be expensive, though, very. And those who come in would have a long wait for their money. It would be a great opportunity to do something really worthwhile, though, said Eugene. No one seems to realize how beautiful a thing like that could be made. Winfield said nothing, but the thought stuck in his mind. He was dreaming a seaside improvement, which should be the most perfect place of its kind in the world, a monument to himself if he did it. If Eugene had this idea of beauty, he might help. At least he might talk to him about it when the time came. Perhaps Eugene might have a little money to invest. It would take millions to put such a scheme through, but every little would help. Besides, Eugene might have ideas which should make money both for himself and for Winfield. It was worth thinking about, so they parted, not to meet again for weeks and months, but they did not forget each other. End of section 73